Hello, everybody. Welcome to the No Breaking Podcast. Today, um, I've got someone who I think is, a, for me personally, is a very special guest. Um, one that I've been on the hunt to try and track down for, for many, many years. I think I've even hunted longer for this guest than I have for some of the cars that I've owned in my time. But uh, Myron Vernus, a.k.a. Junkman356, it's wonderful to have you on the podcast. I very, very much appreciate you making the time here, to be on it. Hey, James. Thanks. I'm, I'm honored uh, to, to be on with you. So with that being the case, Myron, I mean, I know obviously you are, what one might say, rather well-known uh, throughout the, the car community for your um, car collection. One might say, I, I, I've, I mean, I've read lots of things about it, um, I'm still yet to see it one day. It's on my, my place to go and we can finally travel and things like that again. But eccentric, special, eclectic, how would you probably best describe your car collection? You know, I, I hear the word eccentric a lot. It's, uh, first of all, it's really just an accumulation. I really don't call it a collection. There are people out there that have marvelous collections and beautiful, you know, museum type settings. Um, you know, for me, it's just an accumulation of, cars and vehicles uh, that I like. Um, I'm not a mechanic. I'm not um, an engineer, but I appreciate uh, technology and style. And uh, if something strikes my fancy and I happen to have a little bit of money in my bank account at the time, uh, I'll buy it. Uh, so does this also help though, if you say it's definitely not a collection, does that help with your family and friends to excuse the number of cars that you probably have to figure out uh, paperwork for at the DMV? Is that one of those get around things? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. You know, my, my wife and I have uh, the don't ask, don't tell policy when it comes to cars. You know, as long as uh, the mortgage is paid and there's food on the table, the kids fortunately are out of college and uh, their college is paid for, uh, everything is good. Yeah, as long as you've got a few little expenses here and there that you can sort of, and you have a little bit of fun, as you said, a few nice dinners, that kind of thing, it all makes it much to get by, right? Yeah, yeah, and and my I'm blessed that my wife is an enthusiast, um, and uh, you know she's known since our first date that uh, that the cars are always going to be a passionate part of my life. So uh, she's kind of joined in, and we've made a lot of friends, and you know our, our social circles are kind of uh, focused around uh, our car friends around the world. Yeah, and speaking of that, obviously, I mean, I know a little bit of your background, but I was hoping we might be able to sort of dive into a little bit of how you ended up being so, one might say, infatuated with cars at such a, an, an early age. Yeah, you know, there's really no explanation. Um, my uh, my dad hated cars. For him, they were like the worst of the necessary evils. My mother never learned to drive. Um, so, and I, you know, I lived the first five years of my life basically in Greece, which is one of the more, I mean, a wonderful country, beautiful country, one of the greatest places in the world to visit or to live. But if you're a car person, one of the more difficult places to be. So, you know, there's really no explanation. But my mother used to tell me that I'd sit on the balcony of our apartment uh, in Greece and watch the cars go by two and three years old. And that was kind of uh, my, uh, my, I was an easy, easy person to babysit that way. Makes it, look, hey, if it works, it works, right? But then, so right. how did you end up coming across here to the United States and then obviously ending up in, in Ohio? Um, my, my dad had come over earlier in the century, early in the 20th century, and uh, uh, made a career, made a life here, sold his business, went back to Greece uh, in the 50s to, uh, to get married. 
and uh, we ended up moving here because of some family issues, more uh, health health related issues with my sister who uh, needed the medical care that the United States uh, provided. Okay, and then why? Uh, and then Ohio. You, I mean, obviously you're a dedicated fan to Ohio. With your, I, I will say you talk about it a lot of the sometimes the pros, sometimes the cons of living in Ohio, as we had before this call about being a little bit gray for, and a bit cold for the next two months. But so what is it about Ohio that you like so much? Well, this is where my dad had made his life in, in this country. So this is where he had his connections. He had a little bit of real estate here. So that was the natural place to to come back to. And Listen, Ohio is a wonderful place if you can get around the weather, especially in Northeast Ohio. It's really, really gray. And you know, the older you get, the less I appreciate the cold. Of course, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I'm a little bit younger than you, just a little bit. But uh, I will say that sometimes it, it, those cold days make it even difficult. Even here in Southern California, you know, when it gets in the low 60s, it's, it's tough outside. It's tough. Yeah, and it's it's tougher for a car enthusiast too because uh, we get a fair amount of snowfall here, uh, and driving an old car in the cold or rain or snow is not an issue. But once the salt starts hitting the streets, uh, that's uh, it's not really good to our. Uh, to our older cars. Yeah, salt uh, is never really uh, an automotive. Uh, they don't really go hand in hand, I will say that. It's uh, probably the, the nemesis of every car, right? That's right. Uh, and so how did you get the moniker of your name, one might say, Jugman or Jugman 356? How did that sort of come about? Uh, you know, I, I had a good friend. I, I was really, my really passion was for Porsche 356s. And I had a really close friend locally who was kind of a guru of 356s in the area and the engine master. And, uh, you know, we used to joke about just kind of being old junk men. You know, there was a time when I, when I was in college, when we first started buying 356s, that they were the Porsches nobody liked. And we were buying cars literally for junk prices and not a junkyard. So we just started calling ourselves junk men and that's kind of how it stuck. And, and how many 356s do you think you've, you've been through over the years? I, I quit counting at about a hundred. That was many years ago. <laughs> and, and I wonder, do you, do you think all of those, I mean, I'm guessing not quite all of them have made it through, but do you ever wonder or ever see many of the cars that you've owned in the past like pop up again in, in maybe a little bit better condition when you had them? Yeah, you know, uh, I do. I do see them. I don't keep track of them, but I have friends that, that own some, and uh, it's amazing to kind of visit them around the world sometimes. Um, but, and I still have a few. I still have the very first one I bought forty, almost forty-seven years ago. Look, I mean, you best. Uh, I mean, how, so speak of that. How many cars are currently in your collection? Give or not your accumulation. Sorry, I've got to correct myself. Your accumulation of vehicles of of any type. How many are in there at this moment in time? You know, as of this moment, I would guess about 80. Okay. And then obviously there's always going to be ones that might might push that number to maybe 85, maybe 90 at some stage. Is that the goal? Uh, you know, no, it's not the goal anymore. I mean, now that I'm retired and I'm traveling more, um, no, the goal is to get down to a manageable number, which according to my wife is 50 or 55. So I I I, I take that number. So does that mean then that you've stopped sort of your browsing of sites like uh, Jalopnik and bring a trailer? <laughs> no, I wish. <laughs> I, I did sell. I did sell seven cars this year, but I bought six. So, um, well, no, it's, it's not, not never ends. 
As far as I can tell, Myron, in, in my books, if you sold seven and bought six, that is a reduction in your total volume of cars by all rights. I mean, yeah. you still yeah. well, that's, that's, that's tr trending towards that 50 number by all accounts. That that's progress. There's, there's no denying it. It's progress. So so from the beginnings of the Porsche 356s, where did your sort of eyes wander, or where did you go from there? What's the the direction of where things have gone for you? You know, I, I think what uh, really kind of caught my fancy after that was, for some reason, there were a, a fair amount of uh, really esoteric French cars in this area called Deutsche Bonnets. Um, really light, tossable cars that did very, very well in sports car racing here. Uh, but again, super esoteric, only hundreds made. And for some reason, um, I kept running into a Matra, early Matras, uh, the Dejets and Deutsche Bonnets, and uh, just the engineering and different ways of approaching things from the 356 really kind of caught my eye. So um, started down that path, and I think kind of opened my eyes to there's a just a whole big wonderful wonderful world out there as far as uh, you know automotive uh, automotive oddities and, and and fun cars. Yeah, and so if we go down sort of lead down that path in regards to the oddities that you've had your hands on in that time, and you say yourself you're not a mechanic. Uh, what's the process of, for example, keeping some of these vehicles, uh, should we say, drivable in sort of that condition? How does it sort of, what's your plan of attack when these come or are in your hands, one might say? Yeah, well, you know, very little planning goes into it. Very, you know, there's little, when when you see something that, that you feel you have to buy, you don't don't worry, but don't think about the consequences about keeping them running or getting them restored or finding parts that, you know, haven't been around for 50 years. Um, but uh you know, again, after having done this for so long, uh, we've got connections and friends really all over the world uh, who have access to a lot of different things. Plus, I'm blessed with good friends locally. I have a, a very good friend who has his shop right in my garage, and he's a forensic mechanic, so he doesn't work on other people's cars. He studies, you know, mechanical causes for accidents and things like that. But uh, he likes the challenge of working on some of the crazy stuff I bring him. So, you know, really super, super fortunate to have uh, have a connection like that. And and so what are the ones that has anything sort of stumped him then that you've been able to throw at, at him out of your accumulation of vehicles over the years? No, you know, really nothing has. We, You know, he's got full machining capabilities in there. He's, you know, he's just one of these guys who's a natural uh thinker as far as mechanics goes he's such a logical thinker totally opposite for me and uh really nothing's been able to stump him doesn't mean he hasn't cursed a few things here and there but uh nothing nothing's been able to beat him and so of the of the french vehicles then that he you've had through that time which are the ones that maybe uh made him as you say possibly say a curse word once or twice you know, you know i think the one that he that really uh kind of, yeah the one he has the toughest time with is a semi-regular driver i have right now is an 85 uh, citron cx uh station wagon which i really love to drive it's a wonderful all original car at 50,000 kilometers i bought it from a friend who was the first owner and uh you know just these gremlins just keep creeping up <laughs> you know whether it's part of the suspension or part of the electrical system or you know, plastic not aging really well. You know, it. it uh, I think that's probably been his biggest nemesis. You know, his, his hey, famous well, words. His, his famous words are, "Once the French get out of the kitchen, nothing really good ever happens." But 
Look, I, I put it down to probably him not smoking enough Galois cigarettes to, uh, to get around. I mean, I'm sure that's what's probably holding the car together. Yeah, well, listen, his, you, you know, he, was, he cut his teeth on flathead Fords and small block Chevys. So, you know, those things are pretty much, uh, I can almost work on those. They're, they're that simple. So when you see the, the intricate uh, thought and engineering that went into some of these cars, you could see why some people would think that it's kind of unnecessary. Yeah, yeah. And so after the, the French sort of um, side of you sort of moved in that direction, where did you go? Where did you lead yourselves after that? Um, you know, other German cars. Uh, plus, uh, you know, then I think kind of opened up and kind of opened my eyes as far as the Japanese things, doing more reading. Um, you know, the Japanese cars really caught my attention about 10 years ago. When, when you realize that even though we got a steady diet of very boring, very basic automobiles in this country from Japanese manufacturers, which is how they kind of conquered the American market, they made really, really cool cars for themselves. And again, you know, bringing back the French, I, I say about, you know, Japanese auto manufacturers, you know, like the French in their wine, they kept the best stuff for themselves. And uh, that's kind of what caught my eye. And then we you see, see you have beautiful cars, really technologically cutting edge cars uh, that uh, 99% of the time, you know, you're going to go out there and turn the key and they're going to start and go down the road. So that was, uh, yeah. that was intriguing. Yeah. I will say that there's one thing you've got to say about the most Japanese cars is as, as you point out, you can, as a rule of thumb, generally when you turn the key, they will start and you're able to drive, as you say, down the road and get to where you need to go in time. Yeah, and, and that goes for even like the more exotic things like a Toyota 2000 GT uh, or, a, or a Mazda Cosmo. Uh, they, they're uh, engineered just pretty much the same as, as like a Toyota Crown or a, a Mazda 3. Um, of those Japanese cars that you've sort of taken a delve into, what are some of the ones that sort of stand out for you as some of the more unique ones that, uh, that you particularly like to cast your eye over? Um, well, you know, the Cosmo is probably the most unique driving experience of any of any Japanese car. It's uh, the engine is unique. Obviously, you know, there's the not a lot of low end torque with the Cosmo, but it's got the handling of a Lotus and uh, just a, a wonderful, amazing car. Um, there, you know, and it's not all the technical things. The uh, I have a, a 73 Toyota um, Sprinter Terreno, which is basically a decontented uh, Corolla. Uh, but with a twin cam engine and, and you know, a high compression head. And, and it's it's probably the most fun car I've I've ever driven in my life. And, uh, I mean, you drive a few cars as well. And so with that, with these cars that where you go, I mean, you used to run a, a, a car event ride for a number of years in your area. Yeah, yeah. My, my, uh, my profession was uh, I was in the country club business. Um, never played golf, which I think was why I was fairly successful in the country club business. But uh, uh, I, at the country club I was at for the last 25 years, um, I had some friends who were members who were into cars, weren't necessarily into golf. And we got to talking one day, and said, you know, it's a shame to have so much grass here and uh, have it wasted on golfers. So we came up with the idea in the mid-90s to come up with a Concorde event before there was a proliferation of these things around the country. And uh, we started it 
uh, on a local regional basis. And then after a while, it, it grew to some national prominence. We had cars from all around the country and uh, again, highly curated classes. And uh, we think we did some, some kind of cutting edge things called the Glenmore Gathering is, the, is what we called it. And, uh, you know, got to meet a lot of nice people, saw some really, really great cars. And uh, we had a lot of fun. Um, we, we, that went from 1994 to 2012, through 2012. And uh, then and the economics of, you know, doing a high-end event in, in Northeast Ohio where there isn't a high concentration of great automobiles and wealthy people just didn't make sense. Yeah, I was going to say, but in 2012, was that when you had your uh, first car at Pebble Beach as well in that year? Uh, no, I think the first year we had a car at Pebble Beach was 2008. We had the Paxton Phoenix okay. in 2008. Mm -hmm. was, the, was it the Hoffman X8 then in 2012 where I'm getting confused about that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had the Hoffman there in 2012, and then uh, in 2013, we had uh, our Porsche 901 prototype that uh, for the 50th anniversary of uh, the Porsche 911. And then, so uh, can you, obviously I know Pebble Beach from my experience as the media side of things. Can you able to go in a little bit of detail of when you're actually having a car competing in a class there, sort of what's your experience and how uh, it works for you guys as a as a as an owner in that situation. Well, you know, I think I think it's probably a little different for me because we've always shown original cars, original unrestored cars. Uh, I think they were accepted because of the, the unique factor uh, of them or the unique engineering that they've had. Um, so, you know, the, th the three times we've shown cars at Pebble Beach, we've never gone to the you know multi-year preparation and restoration and, and the high-tech things now and and the, you know like you mentioned earlier you know we drive our cars so you know there were two 901 prototypes the year that we took the nine that the year that we took ours and uh, one was a jewel an absolute jewel that uh, belongs to a friend of mine and it's a fantastic car probably the greatest example of the the oldest known Porsche 911 but he never drives it and uh, you know when when we took it on the tour you know, we drove ours on the tour, you know, someone asked the question, what was it like driving on the tour? I said, well, you know, it was just like driving it in Ohio with a little better views. So, um, you know, the overall experience of, of showing a car there is fantastic. The week is terrific. To me, the highlight is the tour on Thursday because of the driving experience and then you're ending up on Ocean Avenue and Carmel and uh, you have, you know, just thousands and thousands of people there to see the cars. It's just a great charge. And with, uh, all the events that have sprung up around uh, that whole Monterey week. It's, uh, you know, it's a real must attend for any enthusiast. Yeah, I will say that um, the event, the Tour de Eleganza, they like to call it on the Thursday, where it leaves from the golf course and then makes the lap to come back. It, it's, I think that is, as you say, I would agree with you that that's certainly my favorite event of the weekend. While the Concours event on the Sunday is beautiful, seeing the cars actually run, and seeing the the enjoyment of the people driving them is is and that epic scenery, of course, obviously down the coast is truly wonderful. Yeah, and I, I think 2013, I think we were the first ones. We uh, I did that with with our youngest daughter that week. It was uh, our father daughter weekend. It was uh, she was starting her last year of law school the next week, so we did a father daughter week, and uh, we decided instead of renting a car for the week, we flew in, bought a beater, drove it for the week, showed it at the Concord Lemons on Saturday, and then showed the Porsche 
at uh, Pebble Beach on Sunday. So I think we're the first ones to show both at Concord Lemons and Pebble Beach Concord in the same week. Look, I mean, that's certainly a feather in one's hat to be, hat to be able to do that, I will say that. What, was the, what did you have on display at, at the Lemons event? We bought uh, a Datsun 200SX convertible conversion. Look, I mean, that is, that's wonderful in itself. I mean, it's genius, to be honest, the, pairing the two of them together as well, the Datsun and the Porsche. I mean, it's, a, it's an incredible collaboration there with two cars. <laughs> right. So speaking of that, what are some of the other Concours events that you that particularly stand out to or that you like to attend, shall we say, or have cars in? Um, you, you know, we're blessed with a lot of great events, you know, in this country. Obviously, Amelia Island, uh, the uh, Concours of America at St. John's in the Detroit area. Um, one of our favorites was just, uh, just came to an end last year. It was the Elegance at Hershey, which is an intimate one with uh, about 70 cars, which was held in June. Um, but, you know, there are a lot of other events that are that are a lot of fun too. You know, we, tr we try to do a fair amount of driving events and, uh, you know, Concord Lemons, we try to hit as many Concord Lemon events as we possibly can, if uh, even with, whether we have a car or not, because they're a lot of fun. Uh, we, we've gone, you know, we've done some vintage racing. We still go to vintage racing events. The Pittsburgh Grand Prix is, is fantastic. The vintage Grand Prix is fantastic. Obviously, Monterey Historics. Um, and there are a lot of regional events. Again, Ohio, we have a lot of local events. And, uh, you know, we were just in L.A. about two months ago. Even, you know, the cars and coffee down in Orange County. That's <laughs> kind of crazy. Like, you just as much enjoyment out of that as anything. Yeah, I mean, certainly that the cars and coffee, they have the two now. I think, obviously, they have the one down there in, in, in Orange County. Now they have the one in Malibu, I think, that's just as fancy. And they're both taken off. It's, and it seems to be a... a I've, don't appear to see, I've never seen any more classic cars and collectible cars out in the roads than I have these days, especially in 2020 and 2021. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We, we were lucky to do both those for that weekend. Uh, and uh, it was, yeah, again, just kind of a blessing to be able to do that when back home in Ohio, it was kind of gray and cold and the events kind of ended for the season. And so obviously you talked about your, your Japanese cars and now is it true that you've sort of wandered sort of your, your, uh, not your accumulation of cars may have included now a couple of hot rods. Is that something that would you say is fair to say? Um, yeah, I, I, I do have a hot rod. I have a car that uh, had some pretty good history. It was built in Los Angeles. It's a 27T Roadster that was built in Los Angeles in the late 40s, ran Bonneville 51-52, and it's pretty much in the same shape that was in when it ran Bonneville, super nice car. So it's got good history. It was in the Ford hop-up guide, uh, Climbers Ford hop-up guide in 52. So it's a cool hot rod. And, uh, you know, even more recently, I've gotten into American Customs. Um, I have uh, a couple Barris cars, and uh, probably the, the gem of those is a car called the Polynesian, which was done by a Valley Custom Shop in Southern California. It's a 50 Oldsmobile. It was done in 53. Um, Valley Custom Shop really was not as well known, obviously, as Barris, but uh, it was done by uh, two guys who are cousins, young guys, and they were just masters. And it's it's kind of gone on to their, their master. It was Neil Emery and Clay Jensen. Uh, 
Emery, the Emery name might ring a bell for you because his grandson, Ron Emery, is kind of famous for the Porsche Outlaws right now. Correct, yes. And so, but I will say this, obviously you've got your accumulation of cars. Is there any of the vehicles in it that uh, you say your your daughters or your wife are, are not quite as, uh, would say they have to be in one of the more adventurous days to go out and join you with when you want to take one of them out on the road? Um, you know, our, our kids are, they don't live close by anymore. Uh, they both have their own lives. They're, they're into cars. They still do car events with us. Um, in fact, uh, a year and a half ago, I bought a car called an Autex Zagato at uh, the Bonhams auction in Monterey, had it sent home. We went on vacation and my kids took it before we came back from vacation and took it up to Radwood in Detroit and one one Radiston show with it. So they put a thousand miles on it before I even got a chance to drive it. So they're, they're uh, yeah, they're, they're pretty good about that. We, uh, when we were in LA last uh, in November, we, we bought an old car sight unseen on the internet and uh, drove it back on route 66, most of the way just to, it's kind of a, a COVID getaway. So yeah, my wife, again, I'm blessed with my wife and my daughters being uh, enthusiasts. Yeah, and then, so with that, I know that you've got, I've heard you talk about how you like cars from industrial designers uh, in particular. Is that something that you'd say is still true for you? Oh, yeah, no doubt. Um, a big Brooks Stevens fan for a long, long time. I have a couple cars out of his collection, a couple one-off designs. And uh, I have, uh, well, my wife has a supercharged Avanti, which obviously is a Raymond Lowy design, and I have... Uh, uh, Raymond Lowy's personal uh, customized Corvair town car, which he kept at his Park Avenue apartment. And and what is it about those sort of designers that really appeals to you or catches your attention, your eye? Well, I think the, the thing that intrigues me most about industrial designers working on cars is unlike <clears throat> a car that comes out of the manufacturer, you'll have one guy who specializes in door handles, another person who specializes in, in grills and bumpers and things like that, where the industrial designer, uh, you know, adds their touch and, and, and their flair to every bit of the car. And you see a lot of details that you could say, okay, tie in back to this. So I think that's, uh, that's the thing that interests me most and appeals to me most about industrial designers working on cars. Okay. And then if we look forward, what do you think of some of the cars that you'd say are more of like, uh, say the the 80s and 90s that you find that maybe you're not chasing to get accumulated by you because obviously you're trying to reduce your uh, number of vehicles you've got, but ones that certainly stand out to you. Um, you know, there there's there's just a bunch. I mean, that's uh, the car that I'm I'm driving now. The car that we bought in LA, I drove home, was an Infiniti M30 convertible, which is you know kind of in the sweet spot of what you're talking about, an early early 90s car, which you know I find very appealing, you know, and it's great to have creature comforts, even though I thought this car had cup holders when I bought it and it doesn't have cup holders. So I can still say I don't own a car with cup holders. Um, but uh, there, there's a lot of interesting cars out there. I mean, the whole Radwood movement, I mean, I go to a Radwood event and there aren't many cars there that don't interest me. Yeah. Do you think that there's going to be uh more interested, obviously, with the cars now coming with the the twenty five year law for Japanese cars. Does that mean? I mean, we think we're going to be seeing 
more and more vehicles come over time, right, that are more interesting in that regard? Yeah, well, I think, you know, every year, the, the I think the magazines kind of latched on to every year, you know, we get the 25-year-old the class, and they, they do a thing about things that are coming over. And, uh, you know, I think there's been great stuff beca- becoming eligible from Japan for years now. And uh, personally, I'm kind of waiting for the 12-cylinder Toyota Century to be illegal to bring over. That's kind of the next big thing for me. Yeah, that would be a rather, one might say, a luxurious take uh, on the driving experience. Yeah. You know, I, I kind of have this pipe dream with the, with the new transportation secretary. Maybe uh, we could get a lobbying uh, uh, effort together to match the, Cal- the uh, Canadian 15-year import lot so that uh, we can have earlier access to some of this great stuff that our Canadian enthusiasts get to enjoy 10 years before we do. No, I certainly concur with that. I mean, I know that Australia, New Zealand, and, and the UK have also got that similar rule, which is a, they give a few uh, vehicles a few years ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and some of the great stuff, some of the stuff, that, the really cool things that uh, Japan or J- Japan only weren't always Japan only. They seem to really uh, kind of favor Australia and New Zealand for uh, for the special cars. In fact, my Toyota 1600 GT came came from New Zealand because I couldn't even find one in Japan. Yeah, it's, it's funny what uh, people have got squirreled away down in New Zealand. There always seems to be some un- unique and unusual cars coming out of there. But uh, with that being said, though, Myron, if we're, someone's trying to track you down, where is the best place to try and find you online? If they can't obviously find you at a, one of the many events that we see you at occasionally. Yeah, um, Instagram, Junkman356. uh, uh I think I think I'm just Myron Vernus on Twitter. So I, those are kind of the two the two platforms I'm I'm most active on. It, and you you're know, very active have on them. Let's be honest. <laughs> well, you know that's the beauty of being retired, right? Look, I mean, it's I'd say it's probably your wife's probably preferring you being more active on Instagram and Twitter than you are being more active on bringing a trailer. Let's be honest on the on the purchasing <laughs> side. Although, look, bring a trailer. I got to tell you. You know, I've got a long history with Bring a Trailer, and totally by accident, one of one of my cars was featured very early. I think in the first few weeks of Bring a Trailer was active, and I happened to meet Randy um, at Baja Cantina in 2008, uh, just by accident. A mutual friend had put together a dinner for a bunch of people, and I happened to meet Randy there, and we've been, you know, great friends ever since. And I'm, you know, truly proud of what he's been able to accomplish and what the what the site has grown into it's uh it, it's it's really amazing and it's great to see the young enthusiasm you know the the people buying on that are, are new people to the hobby and not a bunch of old white guys like me yeah i mean it's not well i think i'm still in that old white guy category now as well actually to be honest it's my birthday coming up next week but with that being said, though, I mean, it is fantastic to see that community that's come around and the unique vehicles that they get on there as well. And it would seem to be the strong community of people that are able to comment and, and shed more details on things when people are asking these questions, which is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, the community is really is really the special part of Bring a Trailer, and, that, and that's always been there. And uh, I, for, for some, I, I don't know, that there's certain magic there that for the most part they've been able to self-regulate without having people kind of go off on tangents. And uh, that's really where I have to give Randy and his team credit for, for maintaining that that level of quality of, of the commenters uh, and uh, the community on, on, on the site. 
Well, I mean, when they've got to keep up with people like you, Myron, who's commenting and, and being on the side, and so you are a commenter, I mean, it, it's it's hard work for them because you're, I mean, you're tough nuts. It's not beat around the bush here. Yeah, well, you know, I honestly, I'm not as involved as I used to be on Bring a Trailer. Um, now, I mean, the, the, the community's grown much, much larger, and there are a lot more people, a lot more experts about cars. I, I mean, I, I, in all humility, I think I know a fair amount about cars, but I'm really not an expert on any specific thing. And, you know, with the Bring a Trailer community, as big as it is, there are, you know, there are, there are experts, detail experts in pretty much any any mark or model that, that you'd be interested in. Yeah, which is, it's a nice thing about the, one of the nicer sides of the internet, right? When you can find that niche community that you're looking for or someone that can help you out and point you in the right direction. That's when you get the good side of the internet where it's nice to see. That's right. That's absolutely right. Well, Mara, it's been absolutely wonderful talking to you today. It's been a real pleasure. Um, and thank you again so much for, for making the time to have this chat. It was my pleasure. Thanks for, thanks for having me on. Uh, I should say, have you got, with the things as strange as they are at these times, um, have you got any plans for any of your vehicles to be going anywhere in the near future, or is that still very much up in the air with knowing knowing what's happening and, and restrictions and whatnot in place? You know, you know, the only commitment we've made for this year is uh, our 48 Davis uh, Devon, you know, big three-wheeled car. Is scheduled mm -hmm. to be at at the Amelia Island Concours this year, which just this week rescheduled from uh, March to May. Um, hopefully, things will start turning around by May, and uh, we're still on board for that. But again, it's it's going to be a game time decision based on uh, you know COVID uh, is determining everything for us these days. Of course, of course, but at least it gives you. I like the idea that at least it gives you something to hope for and be product, look forward to in in May, right? Right. That's right. Yeah, you have to have stuff to look forward to, no doubt about it. Exactly. Just as I'm looking forward to traveling again, I'm certainly looking forward to doing that. And I'm, I think from from what I hear from you, you are as well. Like, yeah, ab absolutely. We're we're hoping that things will turn around for Monterey Car Week, and hopefully they'll have another uh, Japanese event. You know, Motor Trend and Infinity for the last two years, the the uh, Pebble Beach Concours uh, called did, did uh, the Japanese Automotive Invitational, which was really kind of a groundbreaking event, kind of exposed the cars to a big part of the population that, that didn't know anything about them. And uh, hopefully uh, if uh, Monterey Car Week comes back this week, the JAI will be part of it too. Yeah, I mean, that was a particular, it has been a very special uh, package they put together there uh, over at the Infinity booth where they've had those cars together. I mean, and they also have a, an incredible collection of vehicles they have on display there as well. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Well, Myron, like I said, thank you so much for your time today. Um, and make sure everyone has to go follow Jugman 56 on Instagram and track him down on Myron down on Twitter. But again, as always, as I like to tell everyone, please make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast. Um, please leave us a very positive review. Uh, you can see anything at nobreaking.com or you can find me at nobreaking across social media. But until then, guys, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>